Hello. Welcome to CAA Conversations. This is Emil Robinson from the University of Cincinnati School of Design. I'm excited to be joined today by designers Maggie Paxton and Jesse Reed, two former college classmates who have forged dynamic career paths. Our two guests will talk about differences in process and how they find meaning in engaging history and research in their respective fields of fashion design and graphic design. Maggie Paxton attended the University of Cincinnati's College of Design, Art, Architecture, and Planning in the Fashion Design program. She is a multi-category designer with a focus in footwear, currently working for Mark Jacobs on his runway and contemporary shoe collections. Maggie is a resident of Brooklyn, but travels often to Venezia, Italy for shoemaking purposes. Aside from shoes of all kinds, Maggie's other interests include antiques and oddities, folk art and Americana, mycology, counterculture art and fashion, and logos of all varieties. Jesse Reed also attended the University of Cincinnati's College of Design, Art, Architecture, and Planning. He previously worked as an associate partner under Michael Beirut at the New York office of Pentagram. At Pentagram, clients included NYU, Hillary for America, the Wildlife Conservation Society, Bobby Flay, Syracuse University, and Saks Fifth Avenue. In 2017, Jesse co-founded Order, a design office in Brooklyn, along with fellow partner Hamish Smythe. He and Hamish are also the co-founders of Standards Manual, an independent publishing imprint focusing on the preservation of graphic design history. Jesse has taught at the University of Cincinnati and Parsons New School for Design. His courses covered icon, symbol systems, and branding development. I'm so pleased to have both of you here today. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So I'd like to start by getting clarification on a couple of terms that are specific to each of you. So, Jesse, I'm curious, what does the term identity mean to you in the context of what you do for your work? Yeah, so identity um, is a word that we often use to describe uh, the development of, of brands um, and they're sort of synonymous identity and branding. Um, but identity to me, to, to me is sort of the, the core visual language um, that is developed to communicate um, you know, uh, any number of things, and it depends on what sort of uh, organization or company that um, you're developing it for, but these can be uh, ideas, information, it can be, you know, uh, an identity of a product or of a campaign for, you know, a social cause. Um, so really, identity to me is a, a better way of saying to people that I just design logos, which is a part of an identity, um, but it's a much broader way of classifying um, a visual language or these sort of this kit of parts that, that we use to um, help identify um, any, you know, any given organization or cause or person. Wow, very, that's very interesting. I feel like it's very pertinent today because 
people talk about the construction of personal identity more than ever. And so there's, it seems like there's a lot of parallels there for, yes. for what you do. And Maggie, um, I'm curious. I know that <laughs> you find yourself across <laughs> the world pretty often. I and do. there's there's a term that you mentioned to me that I'd like you to introduce to us. Could you tell us what the manavia is? Well, I can tell you what our interpretation of it is. So <laughs> as long as I've worked in shoemaking and traveled to the specific factory that I've worked with, um, which is a couple times now historically through my career in little chunks, uh, the manavia it's actually a term for a piece of machinery on the factory floor. But for us as a team, we've come to know it. It has like sort of this comical agitation to it because the Manavia <laughs> is the area in which, I mean, we've, we've adopted it as the word for the area in which all of the shoes are actually being manufactured on the factory floor. So for us, in the process of the buildup of making shoes, which can be quite a large quantity in a very small amount of time, oh boy, there comes a time in which it's time to go check at the Manavia. And, <laughs> you know, there's it, it's a, usually a high-stress situation in which, you know, Sometimes we get kicked out of the Manavia. Sometimes we're forbidden <laughs> from entering the Manavia because the the process of of making the shoes can it can be a lot. <laughs> so yeah. but technically the Manavia, I found out the the true meaning because I was trying to explain it to my Italian teacher. I was like the Manavia, assuming that he knew what it was as just an Italian word. And he was like, I have no idea what that means and did some research. And it's really just the series of carts, like mechanical carts that sit on the factory floor and hold the shoes. So it's amazing that you get to work. Um, it sounds like in a, uh, in a situation that sometimes has some real pressure associated with oh it, God. but you get to, you get to work directly with people who are physically it's making amazing. these. Yeah. And they're, and they're part of a different really culture. Amazing. Totally different culture, totally ancient culture, totally, I mean, they have every right to be proud of what they can do. Yeah. So it's an honor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I think maybe people, there's a misunderstanding about responsibility surrounding design. And I'm curious for the two of you, you know, it doesn't matter who wants to answer first, but I'm interested in how the work that you do, how it influences culture, what that means to you, and what the responsibility or satisfaction or conflict, however that's personal for you, what does it mean to influence culture? Maybe perhaps that term doesn't even, or that that phrase doesn't ring true to you. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Maggie, feel free to, uh, <laughs> to start us off. I have a lot of feelings about this, but um, I think in general within the fashion industry, you know, it has the historical, I mean, historically from the runway shows down to, you know, what now we call fast fashion, sort of like your Zara's, your H&M's, the, what, the stores that are frequented by people who aren't buying from the runway, I guess. Um, 
historically, those trends have always trickled down to make it easier for stores and designers to sell product. It, it just works that way and has worked that way for a very long time. But because of the speediness of what the internet has thankfully and not thankfully done for us in the past 20 years, um, those trends move super, super fast. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of responsibility for designers to to know their strengths in that. And I think, you know, some designers are really taking into account, like, the environmental aspect or certain animal rights act parts of the whole scenario. For instance, I think in the last, like, year and a half, almost every designer that runs a huge luxury label has denounced the use of fur and it I don't know wow. how it happened but it happened so fast it, it felt like every week there it was like Versace one week you know Mark Jacobs he has opted out of using fur in all of his collections and with that responsibility of making that point and making that commitment you have to understand your commitment to your alternatives. So the alternatives there are like using faux fur, which generally are made of synthetics. So how is that? I, I think everyone in every industry has, has that responsibility of really clearly looking at, if I choose not to do this, my options are A, B, and C. And how, what impact does that have? So, yeah, I mean, truly, from the runway designer now to super small labels, everyone has a voice. It's it's sort of flip-flop because of the internet, so. I feel like for myself, I've been really educated recently, I think, because of the internet. Things that I used to take for granted about, um, you know, in this case, say, clothing, but any object that I use commonly... Now I feel like that object is sort of a container of cultural, historical, um, you know, maybe problematic, conflicting information. Um, mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's part of that voice that's so much more powerful now. I know for myself, speaking for myself, you know, it wasn't there. Now it is. That's kind of amazing. And I think it's probably a little bit different in some ways for you, Jesse, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, uh, Maggie and I are both designers, but she and, you know, Mark Jacobs and her company, they um, they introduce physical, tangible products into the world. And, you know, like Maggie said, that has sort of environmental uh, impacts and consumer, uh, you know, impact and all of those sorts of things where on my end of uh, design, you know, at least in terms of uh, what I do at order and our sort of, you know, graphic design practice, really, um, we're sometimes supporting uh, physical products and, you know, their sort of life out into the world. But for the most part, I would say that, you know, our responsibility as designers, as graphic designers is, um, or at least for me personally, it's, it's clarification um, 
which usually means clarification of messages. And like that sounds sort of like boring and, you know, like really neutral, but it can just mean many, many things. And so, like I said, sort of what identity means, um, it's sometimes that we're helping to sell a product, but also sometimes we're helping to, you know, uh, get some sort of, um, you know, opinion out into the world for, I mean, it could be political, it could be, you know, non-political, um, but it's just clarification of messages. Um, that's sort of what our focus is and what we try to accomplish as, as graphic designers dealing with many different types of um, companies and brands and organizations. Um, and especially now with, you know, this whole, there's, you know, the fake news uh, term yeah. that is widely out there. You know, we don't create news, but we do help to um, facilitate messages out into the world. And so I guess our responsibility and, and the way that we sort of judge if what we're doing is right or not is that if we are facilitating correct and, um, you know, uh, it just sort of like messages that are are real. Wow. That's yeah. I mean, there's a lot of responsibility there. I immediately, you know, I know that you did work, you did work for Hillary's campaign. And then um, I think of the way that Donald Trump messages the way that he sends his message out is so it's so in a way groundbreaking and all and also so basic so yeah. um juvenile and that yeah. combination is um it's kind of devastating in a way <laughs> yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. um okay so i know that research is really important to both of you i know that design history is really important to both of you could you give a just like an interesting example of the kind of research that you do and maybe tie it into uh, your love of design history or or um, add that to what you're what you're describing? You can go ahead, Maggie, again. <laughs> OK, um, well. I, I love history and I love I mean, since I was in high school, I loved history, but when it, it started, you know, at an early age and antiques and vintage and all of that, it's just sort of like the frugal environmental way to go. But also just for me, it holds so much interest. So with shoes, it's really exciting for me to be in my position because I do an in insane amount of research and I can get sucked into it for days at a time or send myself to places that it becomes sort of a hunt for me and I love that hunt so in terms of research like this summer I think is was one of the most exciting rounds of research I've done preparing for a runway show in which I took a vacation but ended up driving my car from New York to Cincinnati and then Cincinnati to Detroit and then Detroit ultimately ending at the Bata Shoe Museum in Toronto, which is one of the best, I mean, it, I think it is the best shoe museum in the world. Which and I tagged Jeff, along for. Yes, and oh. Jesse Messi in Toronto. So it's like the perfect story. But No way. The, yeah. yeah, every step of the way, I in Cincinnati, I went to the Cincinnati Art Museum. They actually have an amazing shoe collection there. And I was lucky enough to go, thanks to them, like, go not touch because they're you know, it's like any other piece of art, <laughs> but <laughs> observe and photograph their archive, which was incredible. 
And then Detroit, I did some like digging all over the place there for shoes, which was amazing. Also, it's like like historically, it's not just about the shoes. You think about a place like Detroit where they had a huge economic boom at some point. You have Motown. You have all of these different cultural things that come together and then, you know, a financial depression. So it's like a, a big explosion of like amazing shoes (laughs) in in these sort of towns where you wouldn't necessarily look so and then going to Bata was amazing and looking at their archives so that really it got me in like an amazing tree it's like a tree growing out like it branches out you start on one thing and then you realize okay so Roger Vivier made shoes for Dior but there was this person involved and that person involved and suddenly you're looking at like you know shoes that kings and gone aware it's just like the the bridges and gaps and branches of research are just incredible and at our company we we bounce around like crazy so oh that's amazing do do you think then do you think when people um, see some of the end results, of course they can't um, they can't have that actual experience that you had inside yourself in your mind as you were seeing these things and making connections and these moments that kind of transcend um, a single object or a single place. But do you think have you have you spoken to people who Maybe they're a scholar, maybe they have the same interests that you do who like see the work you do and they start to unpack it and they can respond in a really, I don't know, like a really informed or wide way. Does that happen? I think among my colleagues and among the friends that I've made through just all the work that I've done in New York from different companies, when we all get together which I'm seeing a bunch of my designer friends later today and we haven't seen each other since the shows it's always exciting to have those conversations like they'll say oh this looks like that or this looks like that or have you seen this or this or that and I think in general among designers you can see like I'll look at shows and be like oh that's that like that's in the Prada show, like, that's that one shoe that, like, so-and-so wore in this movie. You know, it, that's a fake example, but I think when you have that knowledge base, it's really an exciting game to sort of try to unravel the process. And I think, fortunately for us, Mark is the type of person that usually nothing's ever directly one thing he really takes it to a completely different innovative level and that's very exciting and i'm honored to work for someone like that wow um yeah so you know it's interesting because um actually maggie and i have a pretty similar approach you know, when it comes to the beginning of, of a project, um, I mean, hers are a little bit more, you know, developing uh, a season and sort of a full line that seems like much, much larger. But like uh, in terms of when we begin a project, you know, we truly try to immerse ourselves into uh, into the project and the client and sort of like what we're really here to create. And research is 
the one consistent piece um, at the front of anything that that we do. Um, and again, talking about sort of my practice at order and when we're dealing with sort of client relationships. But um, you know, like one uh, at least one example. Um, well, actually, a current example of like a new client that we have is I can't say their name, but it's a um, a, a liberal arts college. Um, uh, on the East Coast. And so, you know, we're developing um, a, a, or sort of like reassessing their brand and their identity and, and how they visually communicate. And so, you know, before doing any design work um, here back in, in Brooklyn, I'm going up to the campus and living there for a week. And like truly, I don't actually know what I'm going to find or what I'm actually, you know, specifically going to do. But um, it's things just like, you know, visiting historical locations <laughs> or meeting people who, who live, you know, in the surrounding town and being with students, like actually going and like sitting in, um, you know, uh, different classrooms and like places where students hang out and just truly yeah. like finding the spirit of that particular place. And that's so important because, you know, it's, it's you know, particularly with you know, the internet and being able to Google things, um, I don't think you develop um, as rich of an outcome uh, when you are physically sort of present uh, in the space or with the people that you're designing for. And so I could just stay in Brooklyn and Google a bunch of stuff about, you know, this particular college and maybe find some things. But I think it's so important to you know, physically immerse yourself into um, into the project. And so, you know, just like Maggie goes in, you know, goes to different shoe museums and does research um, in, you know, archives and other stores, you know, we sort of do a very similar thing, but ours is a little bit more um, narrowly focused on, you know, any particular client that, that we're working with. But I think it's just so important to be, you know, have a physical presence in, um, in that sort of uh, relationship that you're building. Wow. So Jesse, have you have you been to the college yet? Has that happened? I, I have, but only for like 24 hours to sort of uh, initiate, um, you know, the project and have a, a first, uh, you know, one or two meetings. But it was a very short time. And actually going there, um, it is in a very beautiful landscape and, and setting. And so and there's just so much to impact. I mean, they're they have a very long and um, complex history. And I just I've actually never done this for this long of a period of time where I'm going there for like literally a week um, and sort of living there. I've never actually done that um, before. And so, um, you know, it's sort of an experiment in, in one way, but it's also no different than what we would typically do. It's just for a little bit longer. But I think I'm hoping that it produces, um, you know, some interesting results. So I'm actually very much looking forward to it. And OK, so during that time, because I. Um, I'm very jealous. That just sounds really interesting, but, <laughs> but I mean, Me is it, is your yeah, right. Is, it, is your time taken up by meetings or are you going to like, you know, go and eat dining hall food? If it's a really nice <laughs> liberal arts school, then you're probably going to like eat really well. But are you, I mean, are you cramming for midterms? Are you? <laughs> yeah, it's no, I act, it's funny. I have no like agenda, like a literal, oh, wow. schedule. I have no schedule. And so, um, so I think, cool. you know, it's it's actually coming up here in a few weeks and maybe a few days before I'll sort of try to plan some just meetings with, you know, people who I can. But it's actually meant to be uh, a loose and not so rigid schedule of here's, 
you know, the, you know, every hour is planned. It's actually the complete opposite. So it's almost a very fluid research trip where I'm just going to be there and I'm just going to see what I see and I'm just going to explore. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I would say that, you know, there's a, a luxury to this because, you know, I am, you know, an owner of the company that I, I work at. And so I'm able to do this and, you know, I'll still be in communication with my team. And I guess that's the benefit of technology where, you know, I'll still be sort of at my computer answering emails and, you know, doing work with um, our designers here back in Brooklyn for a period of time. But I figure it would be much better to be sitting in the student union doing these things or in the <laughs> library being surrounded by this place that we're actually working for um, and still, you know, have the ability to, you know, do the work that I need to do during the day. But yeah, it's completely fluid and there's no agenda, there's no schedule. Um, and yeah, I mean, it is sort of, a, I guess, a, a luxury to be able to do this. But I actually think it shouldn't be such of a, you know, a, out of the norm way to do work like this. I think, um, you know, these longer periods of research are, are, are beneficial, um, particularly in our, in our profession. Um, Maggie, I have a question for you. I'll, I'm going to ask yeah. you also, Jesse. Um, you know, I think probably uh, we should keep it fairly quick here. We're coming down to the end. But Maggie, mm -hmm. if you if you were to design a a unique project, something you know, it doesn't have to even be a whole semester long, unless that's what you have in mind. But a some kind of design project for students that you think would open their open their mind about where design actually happens maybe or or how it happens based on the wisdom that you've gleaned from your experience what what would be a cool a cool thing to give students you think hmm i mean for me i know there wasn't a huge shoe program at dap when i was there but yeah i think a lot of fashion students did have an interest in accessories and for me i think offering some sort of shoe collection development program for a quarter or a semester would be amazing and I would love to develop that somehow but when I think about it like for like a week-long project some sort of assignment involving like I feel lucky through my experience at DAP that I was exposed to even like our base knowledge and foundations that was so so important to me and honestly the one thing I fall back on the most but also you know through history classes or through conversations with industrial graphic designers you know information about other types of designers so for me a project that I would offer is okay please design please <laughs> please for next week design four pairs of shoes but you have to use some sort of industrial designer or graphic designer to develop a specific heel or a specific piece of hardware or a specific material to use that's going to consistently bring together that collection and I find myself in that world a lot and it comes down to this sort of real life not issue, but component that within the fashion realm or within another realm, people look to other groups of designers. It's just, it is what it is, you know, finding, finding inspiration in a graphic or finding inspiration in, in an industrial designer. I mean, last season I was looking at like bookends from the mid-century 
as inspiration for heels. It, it's just you can't really restrict yourself in mm. that way. Like a heel should look like a stiletto. And it's like that's not actually you're 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 you can make a heel out of whatever you want as long as the shoe balances, you know? It has to be a functional thing. So that I, I would like that project because it can get really difficult but it can be also very exciting so uh, when I hear that the thing that I hold on to as a um, as a professor of design and working in foundations and trying to get students to think critically I'm interested in what you said about um, the part that the other the the person from the other design field they would be designing the thing that held the collection together that's very interesting to me so they mm -hmm. would sort of they would build in the part that's consistent that seems like a um there's a lot of nice vulnerability to that too for the person who's maybe the fashion designer giving over that right. that piece of it is that sort of part of what you're saying yeah, no, I think it technically that could be like a partnered project with another student from a different department where, you know, say I was a fashion student and I had to work with Jesse on creating some sort of identity for a fashion brand. I mean, it's huge, really, like because of the Internet and all of the visual aspects of developing fashion identities it's really really important for brands these days yeah um yeah but yeah in terms of like physically having an industrial design student develop a heel for a collection that a fashion design student is working on I think it, it's you're you're introduced to the reality of when you're working at a company or even working freelance or working for yourself, you have to negotiate and you both have to partner to realize something through two different sets of eyes and two yeah. different sets of desires that will ultimately be purchased by someone. So yeah. it, it's so many, so many factors involved. Yeah, fascinating. Jesse? Yeah. So, you know, the one that I've actually I, I've done this before when I taught, you know, one class on on branding at, at Parsons was um, a project that actually relates pretty, uh, pretty closely to what I'm doing for, um, you know, this liberal arts college, which is we assign students a um, sort of a, a length of a street from one block to, you know, another block. And you have to just find any uh, store, you know, a place. It's most likely a store, but that it could sell anything and essentially rebrand it, but do it in a very meaningful and intentional way. Um, and usually something that is not sort of quote unquote designed. And so whether it's a bodega or a laundromat or, you know, uh, an accountant's office, um, sort of really going there and, you know, going inside, speaking to the people who work there, maybe to the owners if they're, you know, actually there um, and really like experiencing it um, to the fullest degree. And so, you know, the one example we always talk about is that 
Um, and it's actually a quote from uh, a designer named Bob Gill, um, who is one of the founding partners of Pentagram, even though that was sort of short lived. But, you know, um, he always says if, if you're designing uh, for a laundromat, you know, go sit in the laundromat. And it's just very true. And so you have to go and sort of like see how things are done. You have to see who goes there, who, who the audience is, and just really, you know, what does it smell like? What, what is it? What, what's the lighting like? Like what, what's, what's inside? And so that's always a really good project for students to um, go and experience something and then have a reaction um, and then put that reaction into some sort of strategic design thinking that it has an end result. And so, you know, that one's very fun. It's very, you know, physical and, and has a lot of you know, participation that's involved. And particularly in New York, you know, I always used to assign uh, a neighborhood in Brooklyn that got them outside of Manhattan because they would never leave. And so, you know, if this if anyone listening actually does this project, I think assigning students a place where they don't typically um, visit is uh, a, you know, an even better um, sort of uh, way to position them out into the world. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's also inspiring to me because um, I think the way aesthetics can be driven through that kind of an experience, particularly in a space that's not as designed, you know, your examples are really interesting because then, I don't know, there's something very uh, pure and basic about how one makes aesthetic decisions when they're driven by a situation that is so utilitarian and so specific like that, oh, yeah. that just just sounds really um, very successful for for building a place in someone's mind for aesthetic ideals. You know, I think, I think it's, it no, sounds good. It, exactly. And, you know, I remember I had like one student that did a tanning salon and one student oh that God. did like a, a, a fruit market. <laughs> and, you know, they were very, very different. And you can't apply the same thing to both. Like they're just both inherently have the result will be a very different visual language. And um, yeah, it gets pretty great. So it's, it's a fun project and it's not, you know, it's not so serious, even though you can't take it seriously, but there can also be a fun aspect to it, which is something that I think design lacks uh, often is that we take ourselves a little bit too seriously and there can still be an element of joy um, within all of this. Uh, maybe Maggie doesn't feel that way because I think fashion has a lot more joy in it than, you know, black and white Swiss graphic design <laughs> that, that I do. But, um, I don't know because I kind of feel like... It, in for me, like always, I I'm inclined towards the graphic designers historically that there's some sort of element of humor in their work, and maybe it's not visual uh. to the first view, but like you can find humor in like a curve of a line or a different color combination or something like that. Oh, you know. Definitely. I was also say, and Emil, you didn't ask us this, or we never, I don't think, told you this, but Maggie and I and a few <laughs> other people co-run an Instagram account called Logos on Trucks. And it's, uh -oh. it's a, yeah. an Instagram account <laughs> where we document trucks in New York City that have interesting logos on them. And um, they are sort of like what Maggie was describing, like they're sort of funny, but they're also very clever. Like they're not like they're, they've been very intentionally thought, like thought about, but sometimes the craft of them is like really great. And sometimes they're really like quote unquote terrible, but they're very thoughtful and can be funny. So Maggie and I, and a few other people have a, an interest, uh, in this particular application of logos on trucks and, um, 
I encourage everyone to go look it up. <laughs> yeah. So, no, so I like, stopped dead in my tracks like two days ago because I saw <laughs> one and was like, oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah. It's for like a plumbing company, but the letters were spelled out in like piping. And I just like, it exactly. it's me dead in my tracks at like yeah. 830 in the morning on Madison Avenue, you know? <laughs> And you, uh, and it's like, and it's like catching a vision of a rare animal in the wild because, totally. it's, because it's in transit. So you like catch it between oh traffic gosh. and uh, yeah. it's so much fun. I love that. Yeah. Well, I'm so thankful to have the two of you with us today. It's been great. Thanks for spending some time. Um, I think people will really appreciate listening to you. Thank yeah, you, Amy. This was fun. Thank you. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Maggie. <laughs> And thanks for listening to CAA Conversations. Goodbye.